Happy New Year, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 160. As always, I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, the beard to be feared, the Yeti who's ready, Pete Michaud. <laughs> Happy New Year's there, Chris. <laughs> we are back, of course, and once again, we are playing with power, and that means discussing the latest from the world of Nintendo, and by that, I mean game impressions, a little bit of news, and then our big topic, which this week is our favorite games of 2018. Before we get to that, though, let us kick things off with the latest game impressions. And I'm going to start with a game that came out on Switch about two weeks ago. It is a classic-style pixel art title called Battle Princess Madeline. <laughs> uh, the name alone wins some points, I think. <laughs> Pete, have you played this one by any chance? I have not, but I have seen this one. It looks pretty cool. Well, if you've seen it, then you know that it is a classic-style action platformer, very reminiscent of Capcom's Ghouls and Ghosts titles. Ah, and it's clearly not made by Capcom, right? No, not made by Capcom at all. It is an indie title. But, I mean, if you just play this game, you would think it is totally made by Capcom, because <laughs> it absolutely feels like ghouls and ghosts the character movement the way you attack the way you jump the way you climb up and down ladders it is pretty much identical to ghouls and ghosts i mean even if you get hit your armor gets knocked off and then you're suddenly running around in your pajamas wow yeah that that is high praise coming from you yeah i mean unfortunately you, you don't get to run around in your underwear you do play as a girl in this <laughs> game so it's just your pjs no <laughs> getting knocked in your underwear but still that aside as far as the way it feels, you know, it is very, very negligible. It really, truly feels like a Ghouls and Ghosts game. Uh, so does that mean there's pros and cons with the uh, game then? <laughs> well, I mean, as far as gameplay goes, you know, Ghouls and Ghosts has always been great in that respect. And the same is true with this game. I mean, there are you know, a few differences, like you actually have some freedom of movement when you jump. You aren't totally committed to your trajectory. You aren't like going, hey, I'm just jumping and now I can't move you know, at all. I'm just going to crash in whatever's there. You can actually make that adjustment midair. So there is that little bit of difference. Uh, also, I would like to point out that you can shoot up and down like you could in Ghouls and Ghosts, but you ah. couldn't in Super Ghouls and Ghosts or in Ghosts and Goblins. So, you know, you have all those freedoms in there. Yeah, cool. So it is a little bit updated for the, the new millennia. It is, it is. And even though, you know, that's how the character feels and that's what the gameplay is like overall, structurally it is, you know, quite a bit different from what you'd expect from Ghouls and Ghosts. It is nonlinear and much more Metroid-like. Oh, cool. Yeah, the world is interconnected, and there's this central hub town you'll return to often. Plus, as you acquire weapons, you get them permanently, and you're able to switch between them with the shoulder buttons. And there are also other permanent upgrades to unlock, like a double jump. <laughs> you also have this dog companion who can help you out. He, like, sniffs out secrets, and you can apparently use him to perform magic attacks as well. Oh. So, overall, it is not nearly as sadistic as classic ghouls and ghosts. <laughs> Like, when you die, you respawn pretty close to where you died, and you only get sent back to checkpoints after your magic, which also functions as your lives, is depleted. Wow. And you'll even, like, respawn right there in the middle of boss battles. It's not like you're sent back to the beginning of the fight every single time. Wow. That actually sounds like a great addition to that franchise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of it is much, much more user-friendly. Oh, good. However, while the overall feel and basic gameplay are really solid and, you know, like you were saying, even could improve upon that original classic formula, the game does have a few issues. Mm. 
Like, there are some things that just aren't intuitive, and there are some things that are just a little bit off with the game structure. Like, as mentioned, it is Metroid-style, but there's no in-game map. And a lot of time, there's really not much to tell you what to do or where to go next. Like, maybe you'll get a clue, but then it's gone, and you don't get to see that clue again. If you forget it, it's like, <laughs> oh, well, now I'm really in trouble. Or even if you remember it, you might not really know what you're supposed to do. Like, sometimes you go into a new area, and you can go left or you can go right. And one way takes you to where you're supposed to go, and the other way gets you hopelessly lost. <laughs> Certain doom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's not just, like, some magic spell you can cast to whisk yourself back to the castle. It's like, okay, I'm stuck here until I find my way out. Huh. So, you know, it has that going on. And then, because it's this big interconnected world, there is backtracking. So, after you finish a level, you don't necessarily just get whisked back to that central hub. You know, I give the game more props in general for being more forgiving and less brutal than ghouls and ghosts. But, you know, what is more punishing than playing through a ghouls and ghosts level? Well, then playing through it again backwards. <laughs> right. Yeah, I could see how that would be problematic. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes it's not really clear what you're supposed to do. Like, after the second level, for instance, I'm supposed to head back to town. You know, you meet this NPC, and he's like, okay, go back to town. And so I head out, and I see these arrows on these signs in the stage background. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just follow these arrows, and I assume that'll take me back to town via a shortcut. And no, it guided me to the next area instead, which I couldn't enter. And so then I had to backtrack all the way through all that stuff, back to where I met the NPC, all the way back through the rest of the level, and then, like, through the previous area. And it was pretty darn and brutal yeah yikes and then another issue i have is that the game is sort of front-loaded with all these things that you can't do for a long time like there are characters asking you about beating bosses and every time you talk to these characters like did you beat the boss yet and <laughs> you know they're like no i don't i'm not going to fight that boss for probably five hours or something <laughs> why don't you say something different so there's stuff like that there are tips about using magic that you don't have access to for a long time and like i'm loaded up with cash and upgrade materials for weapons and armor but it takes a really long time before you can use any of that stuff hmm. so so without instructions or proper tutorials, the game is a bit confusing and I wasted a lot of time just trying to figure things out. I see. Yeah, so from a gameplay perspective, it's really great, but you know, structurally, it just leaves a few things to be desired. However, you know, it is still an amazing homage to Ghouls and Ghosts, and despite the game's flaws, you know, if you are into this sort of game, they are very easy to cope with. And, you know, if you love classic action platform games, if you love pixel art, if you are a big Ghouls and Ghosts fan, you should still check this game out in spite of its flaws because it really does have a lot of cool things going for it. Cool. So overall, you would recommend I play it? If you fall into one of those categories, yeah, absolutely. Do you like Ghouls and Ghosts? Do you like the idea of an upgrade Ghouls and Ghosts? Then yeah, definitely check it out. All right. I think I'm going to pick this one up, Chris. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, just go in knowing that there are some caveats, and you'll probably have a great time with it. Yeah, uh, looking at the screenshots, it actually does look uh, pretty impressive, and uh, and you're spot on with the uh, ghouls and ghosts. It's like, it literally is like they just sort of adjusted some pixel art, <laughs> and it could absolutely pass for a new uh, Ghosts and Goblins game. Yeah, for sure. So, Pete, what have you been playing, if not Battle Princess Madeline? Well, Chris, I have been playing the new, slash kind of old, Katamari Damacy reroll. Ah, nice, nice. I did download the demo and play through that, but I haven't actually played the full game yet. And I've been kind of curious, you know, how it is. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, if you've ever played Katamari Damacy, this is essentially the same game. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. 
it actually really stands up still. And I think that it, it, it like totally playable and totally stood the test of time. I think the game's about 15 years old now, the original. Uh, it has been quite a while since it came out on uh, PlayStation 2. That was the first platform it hit. And, you know, all this time we've sort of been waiting for it to come to a Nintendo system. It never did until, you know, finally now. Here it is, you know? Yeah. So it's super weird that it's out on Switch, but it also, for some reason, makes a lot of sense. It's, um, you know, it's priced at $29.99. I bought mine off the eShop. Anyways, the, the game... If you've never played it, it essentially was the first of its kind in the sense where you start with a small ball and you start rolling up little, you know, different household items. You're basically the prince of the king of all cosmos. Wait, what's the character name? I think his name is just the prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not prince, like the singer. (laughs) And the king of all cosmos, who's your dad instructs the prince to roll yeah, he's up. he's a very, very weird guy. He's not exactly a normal king. <laughs> yeah, so he instructs the prince to uh, start rolling up balls of stuff in people's houses, backyards, and uh, you have to start small. You have to start with, like, thumbtacks and dice and paperclips. Right, right. I mean, basically it's a puzzle game where you have to collect the small stuff first, and then you can collect bigger and bigger things, and you start with, you know thumbtacks and wrappers and then eventually it's like oh now i'm rolling up a mouse and now i'm rolling up a tire and i'm rolling up a car now i'm rolling up a whole house and it just gets crazier and sillier and more ridiculous as it goes on and yeah i kind of forgotten how silly it was until i played through that demo <laughs> right and it's funny because there are a lot of games that copy that style especially recently i think there's a game called donut county that uh, uh very similar where the premise is you have a hole and you move it around and you can start small and then you eventually can pick up like houses and buildings well, anyways, this was the first of its kind. Each level, you're trying to roll a bigger ball, and eventually you're starting to roll up right. giant, giant things. Mm-hmm. The gameplay can get a little stale after some time, but uh, it is a really fun pick-up-and-play, and also um, you know, a game that you kind of just want to show people that have never played it. Because the, <laughs> yeah, just because it's so darn goofy. Yeah, the music's goofy, the premise is goofy, the it, items you're picking up are goofy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's, it's just full of charm, though. Yeah, the one thing I really wasn't prepared for, though, was the controls. You know, I fired it up, and I'm like, hmm, I'm pushing the thumbstick, I'm not moving. I'm pushing the stick for the camera, it's not controlling the camera. Then I realized, oh yeah, it's sort of, you know, all focused on these dual controls. You push both sticks up to roll this around. Yep. And, you know, getting reaccustomed to that and remembering that that's how it works was kind of the uh, the big thing for me. It's like, oh yeah, this was sort of the game that really took advantage of dual stick controls in a whole unique way like this. So, you know, once you get accustomed to that... My feeling is you will have you know a really good time with it, assuming you can put up with the uh, yeah, somewhat dated graphics, like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I think the gameplay really is probably the the drawback of the game, and as you mentioned, you definitely can get better at it, and you will get better at it. But there is like some moments where you're just gonna struggle with the camera because mm-hmm. the camera's just always locked behind you. You're also gonna struggle with trying to figure out what to do with the controls because you're you're trying to go a certain direction. Plus, like. If your ball absorbs something giant, all of a sudden... Yeah, and the guy gets stuck in an awkward position, yeah. like, then your ball is totally off-center, it doesn't roll properly, so, you know, that sort of stuff happens. Or you might roll into a corner, and then you just can't get out because there's something there. I mean, literally one time, <laughs> yeah. I actually had to just 
stop playing because I was stuck. And I was getting annoyed because all the stuff on my ball just kept falling off. Because every time you bump into something, you lose stuff. Yeah, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but in addition, there actually is a motion control version in the full game. Oh, I haven't tried that. Interesting. Yeah, that actually gave a shot to, and you you basically play with the two Joy-Cons, kind of like, uh, you know, arm style, where they're kind of Mm -hmm. face sideways. It's kind of fun, especially if you're like trying to show a friend. I think that might actually be the best way to kind of introduce them. Mm-hmm. That being said, it also is very frustrating because <laughs> there are moments uh-huh. where you're like, why isn't it turning the way I want it to turn? Mm-hmm. I don't think it loses all that much. So there is something to be said for it. I think I would give it a little bit more of a shot with the motion controls. But I don't know if I'm just playing by myself, I'm probably still going to stick to the thumbsticks. Okay. Well, that's good to know, but uh, definitely a cool inclusion, that's for sure. And something that I feel like, you know, they should have added to the franchise, like, you know, 10 years ago on Wii or something. So, uh, yeah. good to see it's finally being realized. Yeah, kind of crazy that it's the first time on Nintendo console. Yes, indeed, indeed. Needless to say, you know, for the price point, I think it's a great pickup if anybody's, like, mildly interested in what the fuss is over that game. It is absolutely a classic, and it still holds up really well. Cool. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I mean, even though I only played just that one level in the demo, I think I am kind of getting hooked on it all over again, (laughs) and there's a very good chance I'm going to pick up the final game. Yeah, I mean, it's almost worth just the intro song alone. (laughs) This is true. This is very, very true. (laughs) All right, so is there anything else you've been playing? Yeah, actually, I guess it's been a while now, but I did play some Warframe for a time. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of stuff about Warframe over the last several months, but I have not had a chance to play it for myself, so uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, so essentially Warframe is a free-to-play game on Switch that has a huge PC following. It's been around for years and years. Oh, wow. So the number one thing I think I could compare it to is probably Destiny, which sounds crazy because, you know, anyone who's played Destiny realizes that that game is pretty robust and costs a full title game, like 60 bucks. Right, right. Well, this is essentially like a free-to-play version of that style of game. Okay, so it's a third-person shooter is what you're saying. So it's a third-person shooter. You can join almost any game with other players. You have the ability to, like, turn that off. So, like, okay. when you when you just start by default, you're actually, you know, you, you go into a couple tutorial missions, and then all of a sudden you just get thrown into the main story. And the main story quests, people can just randomly join them. Okay. <laughs> Which, so is that co-op or is that competitive? Uh, so it's co-op. Okay. So at first I didn't even really realize what was going on, but then I realized, oh, there are other people in my game. And they can't really do anything to you. So, I, like at least in my experience, I didn't have any problem with somebody else being in my game. Mm-hmm. And they were doing the mission along with me. So it wasn't like they were annoying me or anything. It was actually kind of helpful. Yep, sounds good to me. But I could imagine scenarios where, you know, a guy's just goofing off and not helping you open some door. <laughs> and then I don't know what you would do. You'd probably just have to quit, I guess. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't so happen. So your mileage can vary a little bit by the amount of, you know, by your experiences playing online. But essentially, you are a space ninja. Uh-huh. And, we yeah, all love a good space ninja. <laughs> exactly. And so you have different abilities. You can have a gun. You have a sword. You have a staff. And you can use all these things to your discretion as you're running through the level, like kind of, you know, taking NPCs out. It really does play a lot like something like a Destiny or um, any other third-person shooter you might play. Okay. 
Now, I will say the graphics in this game are probably one of the best on Switch. Really? Yeah, huh. I that was what really blew me away. I watched a couple videos and I was like, wow, this is this is <laughs> what the Switch is capable of. So I think the guys at Panic Button have done just a fantastic job of making this game look like... I mean, when I see this game, I actually think that like a Mass Effect game could belong on Switch or maybe even like, uh, you know, Witcher, which... You know, these games that are super powerful graphically, I think there are ways to put them on the Switch. And however they did it, it's kind of magical because uh, the game looks uh, and plays amazing. Okay, cool. I was kind of expecting you to say the opposite thing. I'm like, oh, it's a free-to-play game. I guess I shouldn't expect too much from it. And then you're like, oh, it's one of the best-looking games (laughs) in the system. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I guess the number one thing it boils down to is if this is the type of game for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I've talked to people who played it and they said they liked it, but, you know, didn't like the idea that you have to play online. I found that the menu is really complicated, but there is a way that you can turn off the ability for other people to join your games. Oh, okay. Um, So I started to do that, and then I just kind of liked playing through some of the games single player. Mm -hmm. I found that some levels get a little same-ish and repetitive, but at the same time, there actually is some like cool, you know, story going on. There's like really good VO and dialogue and characters that are trying to like, you know, take you out. And uh, did you say you have really good BO? <laughs> I said VO. Oh, voiceovers. Okay, yeah. sorry. But of course, you know, th- there are a bunch of different types of missions. I didn't play through it too terribly much I, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of five to ten hours yeah that's not bad yeah and and there were definitely like some cool like you know you go on a out in this giant area and i had to go like find some like supply caches you know before the time expires and the enemies mm-hmm. trying to like spawn and i hadn't faced an enemy that was terribly difficult to this point but they were just a lot of them and they would kind of just like all surround you and then all you know you're just basically trying to swarm you huh? yeah you're trying to take out the swarm while you're uh, finding the different things you need to complete your objective okay my big question is, if it's a free-to-play game, are there any premium features that the game encourages you to buy? Is there, like, a paywall that pops up at some point? Uh, is there any issues as far as that goes? You know, I know that there are. There's a ton of things you can mod in this game, and there's, like, a lot of things you can buy in the store. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw that there are some items you, like, have to pay a certain kind of currency for, mm-hmm. and I assume that that's the kind you have to pay money for. Um, I see. That being said, there are ways to just grind out, you know, being able to get new weapons and be able to upgrade your character. And of course, you know, I think there's five or six different uh, types of weapons you can carry. Okay. And all of those are moddable and you can add like, you know, things that add more power or more, you know, larger clips and, you know, just different attributes to your weapons. But a lot of that's doable without using premium currency? Yes. Okay. It seemed to be. I, uh, you know, didn't spend any money myself on it and I had a lot of fun and I could actually imagine, you know, if I just had more free time, I could probably spec my guy out quite a bit. All right. Very cool. Sounds like a very interesting game. And, you know, like you said, it's free to play. So absolutely, you know, no harm in uh, going online and checking it out. So that's great to hear. Yeah. If you're a fan of the genre, um, absolutely. There's no reason why I I wouldn't recommend this game to anybody. In fact, I have recommended it to a few people and they also liked it. All right. Excellent. Great to hear. Now, what about you, Chris? Anything else? Uh, The one other game I have been playing is Sega Ages Fantasy Star. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. And this is, you know, basically a return of the classic sci-fi RPG that originally debuted on the Sega Master System. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, I watched a trailer for this recently. It looks amazing. Well, I mean, it is a classic 8-bit game in all its 8-bit glory, and I've really never played the game much before beyond the first few minutes, so it's nice to have this on Switch to be able to sit down and get familiar with this classic. I mean, it predates almost every other Japanese RPG out there, and it really helped set the standard for the genre. You know, that means random turn-based battles, a top-down overworld, a variety of characters and towns and dungeons, and lots of weapons and equipment to buy. Uh, although this one, unlike most other classic RPGs, actually has this first-person dungeon mode, and it runs surprisingly smoothly and holds up shockingly well, even like 30 years later. Yeah, I actually did play this game, I believe, on Game Boy Advance. Yes, there was a Game Boy Advance version. I played a little bit of that, but I heard the game was a little glitchy, so I didn't play more than like, you know, 15 minutes of it or something. <laughs> it was yeah. also on a virtual console on Wii. Ah, uh, yeah. And yeah, it does. It, it holds up weirdly well for an old school RPG. Yeah, I mean, not everything holds up super well. Like, there's, you know, pretty much no guidance. There is still a lot of grinding necessary. Oh, yeah. But there are two modes in this game. There's a classic mode and what they call ages mode. And classic is just the original game, you know, no frills, exactly like it was 30 years ago. And then ages mode lowers the encounter rate and gives you four times the money and the experience points. So you can really get stronger without nearly as much grinding. Uh, sign me up for the ages mode. Yeah, and the saves are shared between modes, so you can start playing in Classic, and then you're like, okay, I need a thousand gold, and it's going to take me, you know, a zillion hours. <laughs> then you can just fire up that save in Ages mode, decides you know, it was too tedious, and just, you know, play through it that way. Wow. And, uh, you know, it could be really, really beneficial. Or you can decide, oh, Ages mode is too easy, I'm going to switch back to Classic mode now. Wow, that's really impressive. Yeah, and I mean, there are still, you know, some difficulties in Ages mode. Like, at the very beginning, I fired up Ages mode, and I left the town. I'm like, okay, let's have a random battle. I died in my very first random battle. <laughs> I fought this big eyeball with wings. I'm like, okay, I'm going to beat this guy easily. And he just, like, killed me in three hits. I was like, okay, back to the title screen. You haven't saved yet. <laughs> but uh, I think it gets uh, much easier, much faster once you've leveled up a bit. Right. Also, I should point out that you know, regardless of the mode, the game does have some other very convenient features built in, like there is a map for the 3D dungeons. In the original game, there's no map. You're just wandering around these dungeons. You know, anyone who played that game will tell you, if I'm going to get through the dungeon, I'm going to have to break out the graph paper and make a little map. Otherwise, you're going to get hopelessly lost. But this version actually has a map in there. And, uh, you know, automatically shows you where you are, which is very, very helpful. Yeah, I'm seeing that uh, in screenshots. That actually looks like it would be incredibly helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, if you like the old school challenge, you can just turn that map off and won't have to deal with it. But for most people, I think they'll definitely appreciate that. Then on top of that, you can increase your walking speed. And then there are all these lists you have instant access to that explain what all the equipment does and who can use it. Because, you know, like most classic RPGs, you go into the shop and there's no explanations whatsoever. It's like, is this going to help me? Is it going to work on a character I have? Who knows? Let's just, you know, spend this really, really hard-earned money and see what happens. So <laughs> it is much, much user-friendlier that you can just, you know, hit the pause button and suddenly you have a whole list. Like, oh, yes, this gives me, you know, 20 defense and it's equipable by these two characters. And yes, now I know I want this. So, yeah, it's very, very helpful in that way. So ultimately... This game, you know, it certainly feels old, it shows its age, but it is probably infinitely more playable than any other version that's been previously released, and this is certainly, I would say, the best way to experience this piece of gaming history. 
Yeah, and it seems like that between this and the uh, Sega Genesis Classics that just came out, you should be able to play all four Fantasy Star games on Switch. Yes, that is very true. Yeah, between those two options, you now have four Fantasy Star games right at your fingertips. So, yeah, it's actually a pretty good time to be a classic Fantasy Star fan. Oh, man, talk about blast processing. (laughs) For sure. So there is one more bit of uh, impressions I'd like to share, but it is not a game. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, an amiibo. Amiibo! (laughs) Why should have figured? (laughs) Well, can you guess which amiibo this is? Hmm... I think it's an amiibo that's very near and dear to your heart. Mm, Not so much. (laughs) It is actually the Loot Goblin amiibo from Diablo 3. Ah, how'd you get your hands on this baby? Oh, well, you know, I pre-ordered it when it went up, available through GameStop. It was a GameStop exclusive, and uh, lo and behold, it then magically appeared in my mailbox one day. (laughs) All right. But, you know, on the last episode of the show, I believe you had a question for me. It was, if I had to get rid of one amiibo, which amiibo Mm -hmm. would I sacrifice to save the rest? I have a new answer for you. (laughs) I would totally sacrifice the Loot Goblin amiibo. Oh no, why? What's wrong? I am not a fan of this amiibo. I mean, if I didn't know any better, I would think this was some sort of fake counterfeit amiibo. (laughs) Like, nothing about it feels like an amiibo. It comes in a weird box instead of on the regular blister card. So it just kind of feels like someone stuffed into some random box. It has a weird oval base <laughs> instead of the circular base that all Amiibo have. Hmm. And then I discovered that it's not even an original sculpt. It reuses a mold from a 2016 Diablo toy. And it was just, you know, the character was painted blue instead of red. So it really feels like someone just grabbed some old sculpt, shoved it into, you know, some box and just slapped an Amiibo sticker on there and just pretending this thing is an Amiibo because like everything just seems off. And then on top of that, the sculpt, you know, it's just not that detailed compared to most Amiibo. Mm -hmm. Like, Like the coins, he has this sack with all these gold coins coming out, and they're not shiny gold. They just look kind of like slightly yellow. So it kind of looks like a stack of banana slices is coming out of his sack. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I mean, I enjoyed playing Diablo 3, but I don't recall seeing a goblin with banana slices coming out of his sack. That's because you didn't use the amiibo. I guess not. I guess not. And I feel like Donkey Kong might want to have words with this guy. But yeah, this is not my favorite Amiibo. I definitely have some issues with it. Am I glad that I have it for 100% Amiibo ownership? Uh, Maybe. To be honest, this is kind of making me reconsider my gotta catch them all (laughs) mentality for the Amiibo. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that kind of says a lot, doesn't it? That does say a lot. Yeah, I mean, no offense to the game. I like what I played about the game, but this Amiibo, it's not, it's not even Amiibo. It's Amiibo is what it is. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but kind of underhandedly, because it's funny to he- hear you rant, <laughs> I'm happy that you got that Amiibo, I think, as your nemesis. That certainly sounds like you, Pete. <laughs> and I enjoy torturing you, or watching you be tortured. That you do. Yeah, I'm just not even really sure how, you know, something like this got made. I mean, it's not like Blizzard is some, uh, you know, rinky-dink company that needs to be pinching its pennies. It seems like they could make whatever they wanted, but nope. This is what we get. Total uh, mihobo. <laughs> yeah, you certainly would think that Blizzard, of all people, could spare the expense to make a nice amiibo, but sounds like they didn't. Nope. Maybe next time. <laughs> And then they'll be like, oh, the sales of this Amiibo were so bad. Well, let's never do that again. 
don't know, I actually think it's probably selling pretty well, being, you know, Diablo 3 and being an exclusive to GameStop. It seems like it's constantly sold out on their website. They're probably going to be like, yeah, let's repurpose more old toys into Amiibo. Yeah. <laughs> more counterfeit Amiibo. I kind of want to buy it now just because <laughs> it sounds like the one to own if you want to own an Amiibo that just kind of makes people laugh. If you want the Amiibo to own you, this is definitely the one to get. <laughs> uh that's pretty funny. All right, enough of this and the banana slice amiibo. Let us move along to a little bit of news. We just went through the holiday season and, you know, traditionally not much news around this time of year, but there are a couple of things I wanted to mention. First of all, there are a couple major new releases from a limited run games that are on the way. Do tell. Do tell. Celeste is currently available for pre-order now on Switch, and it will be available until the end of the month. Ah. You can grab that one for $35. There was also a very limited collector's edition, but it sold out like within a minute. So <laughs> if you wanted that, uh, sorry. Also on the way is Iconoclasts for the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. And you know that has been one of my favorite games to come out on Switch in the past year. It will be available on January 18th. And there is a very good chance I'm going to double dip on this one. Yeah, you've raved about that one. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, very good game, and I think fairly underappreciated. But uh, yeah, both of those games, as with all their Switch games, are open pre-orders. You don't have to worry about the games themselves selling out. So yeah, those will be available for the next couple of weeks. Both of them are, you know, very well regarded, and uh, you know, probably worth adding to your collection. Yeah, that's cool. Celeste is actually one of my favorite games of the year. Yeah, I think it's on a lot of people's lists, and now it's available in physical form, so I think that uh, a lot of people might be picking that title up. Yeah, it's cool to have the option. Yeah, for sure. And a couple other items that are out there for people to pre-order as well are some collectibles that caught my eye. First, over in Japan, there is a new Kirby Nendoroid coming out later this year. This one is Beam Kirby, so he comes with a wand and a jester hat and beam parts to create the illusion (laughs) that he's firing from the wand. Also, this Kirby is yellow as opposed to the previous Kirby Nendoroids, which were pink and blue. Hmm. Like those other ones, though, this one has four face plates, smiling, neutral, inhaling, and with a full mouth. It also has magnetic limbs, so you can position the arms and legs pretty much anywhere on the spherical body and makes for one of the coolest nintendo action figure collectibles i've ever seen (laughs) that's awesome yeah like the other nendoroids it's not cheap it clocks in at about 50 dollars, and it will be out around september wow Uh, and then if you really want to get expensive there is also a new item on the way from first four figures and that is a figure of none other than conquer the squirrel from conquer's bad fur day wow that's pretty cool Yeah, yeah, who would have imagined, you know, back when that game came out more than 15 years ago, amid so much controversy, that there would be some big, expensive statue coming out. I never would have guessed it. Yeah, I hope if it sells well, we uh, get a great mighty poo. (laughs) Well, let's cross our fingers for that. But uh, yeah, this is Conker from the intro and ending to the game where he's sitting on that throne sort of telling his story. It is 16.6 inches tall and 18 inches wide. And it includes, you know, this statue of Conquer on the throne, along with a glass of milk <laughs> and a classic gold crown for Conquer the King to wear. Yeah, it looks really awesome, actually. I was just kind of checking it out. 
Yeah, it's very, very impressive. And in addition to that regular edition, there is one that they're calling the Definitive Edition that comes with all that stuff, as well as a modern golden crown, a silver goblet of milk, a bejeweled throne footstool, and what they are calling a highly detailed dais on which the throne is placed. Oh, plus there's a commemorative metal coin. Ooh la la. Uh, This does not come cheap, though. It is $430 for the regular edition and $550 for the definitive edition. Zoink, Scoob. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Conker fan. I would love to get this, but uh, unfortunately, there is no way that's happening anytime soon for me. But hey, if you can afford it, more power to (laughs) you. Yeah, this one would look awesome on any shelf. (laughs) For sure. Anyway, that's all we've got for the news this week. Let's move along and answer some listener mail. This first letter comes from listener Joey T, and he has some quickfire spirit questions regarding Super Smash Bros. Ultimate for us. What is your favorite spirit evolution? What spirit do you hope or wish is in the game? What game shocked you most by being included so far? Do you think they will add Persona and other DLC spirits? Which of the spirits will get you drunk? Which spirit would be the head cheerleader? (laughs) Which spirit is the Christmas spirit? Wow. Joey T really going for it. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Do you have any answers for Joey T? Let's see. Going through this quickly. What is your favorite spirit evolution? Chris, you got one? Uh, Probably the evolution from Metal Gear Zeke into Solanthropus from Mm -hmm. Metal Gear Solid 5. Or maybe Maria from the Castlevania series evolving from her child form in Rondo of Blood to her adult form in Symphony of the Night. Ah, those are good. I would say Nick evolving into Captain Rainbow. (laughs) Uh, that's a pretty good one, although I wish I knew a little bit more about the character, but uh, still pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, me too. What spirit do you hope wish is in this game, Chris? Well, either Mike Hagar or Metal Gear Mark II, which is the cute little Metal Gear from Metal Gear Solid 4 and from Snatcher. Mm, I'd like I Am Error from uh, Zelda 2. <laughs> okay. Uh, as for uh, which game shocked you by being included... I would definitely have to say the Shantae series, uh, specifically Risky Boots. (laughs) Uh, Indeed. And Pete, I'm not just saying that because I know how much you love Risky Boots, (laughs) but I mean, the fact that Shantae is included all is, you know, just sort of mind blowing. And then the fact that Risky Boots was also in there too, you know, the bad guy from the series, it was just like, never would have expected that to happen. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I think for me, maybe I will say the the dude from uh, Hotel Dusk. Ah, okay. I mean, not that that's that rare. I mean, he's a Nintendo character, but it's just weird to see him in another game. Uh, Indeed, indeed. As for will they add Persona and other DLC spirits, I certainly wouldn't be surprised, uh, especially if they did like a special event surrounding them like they've been doing on the weekends. Uh, I could certainly see that happening. Yeah, I think I would be more shocked if they didn't do that than if they did. Understandable. Which of the spirits will get you drunk, Chris? Oh, definitely Wario and probably Bayonetta. <laughs> is there is there any Lon Lon milk in this game? I don't know, but I believe that Malin from Long Lon Ranch is in there, so maybe she'll get you drunk too. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Which spirit would be the head cheerleader? Oh, that's easy. Owen Don. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought the same thing. I saw that the uh, cheerleaders from Owen Don are in there. Yep. No question about it. And as for the Christmas spirit, um, Big Old Belly sneaks into your house at night. Obviously, it's Big the Cat. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. I was going to say King Hippo. <laughs> also a fair choice. <laughs> Thanks for the letter, Joey. 
Let's move along to the next one, which comes from listener Brian Booth. He writes, Hey guys, so good to hear you again. Glad to hear that the trip was so enjoyable, and sorry Hoff didn't get to take a bite out of Kirby. I always thought he would taste like strawberry marshmallows, not that I spend a lot of time thinking about eating video game characters. (laughs) Awkward. I have to start by saying that, now that Pete has put it in my head, I kind of want to play a game where you just chuck horses at Fire Emblem characters. Is that wrong? (laughs) Uh, I'm confused. Well, I think, Pete, on our last episode, you said something about there were enough Fire Emblem games to choke a horse, (laughs) and he must have misheard you about chuck a horse. Um, (laughs) Either way, uh, you know my feelings about horses, so I might not be the right person to ask about this. I'll chuck a horse at you. Yeah, I know you would. You definitely would. But uh, I'll have to you know, leave that wrongness level to uh, someone else to decide. <laughs> uh, he then continues, There was so much in your last episode I'd love to respond to. No Adventures of Lolo Love. <laughs> but for time's sake, I'll focus on one thing. I think whoever the big N asks Sakurai to include in the game, the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate DLC is going to be amazing. However, I'm still holding out hope for Gino. His moveset makes so much sense, and he would bring some amazing music with him. Beware the Forest Mushrooms and Booster's Tower alone would be amazing. The other three tracks could be pretty much anything from any Mario RPG and be awesome. And his stage could be a Delfino Plaza-style tour of some of the different locations from the original Mario RPG's world. I realize that with Square being Square, this could possibly be prohibitively expensive, but a guy can still dream. Keep playing with power. Yeah, that last one, I feel like Gino would make a ton of sense to be in this game. Yeah, I mean, I get the feeling that a lot of these are going to be, you know, out-of-nowhere surprises, probably third-party but, I mean, certainly they want to do something that is pleasing to the fans, and Gino is highly requested, so I could certainly see that one happening. Now, of course, if you don't know who Gino is, he's from Super Mario RPG on the Super Nintendo. Yes, indeed, indeed. And as to Brian's other point, uh, personally, I always assume that Kirby tasted like Peeps, but sadly, I may never get the chance <laughs> to find out. You know, I guess if I had to think about it, it would be Peeps as well. I just never even put that in my head, but yeah, I, I agree. Yep, Inquiring Minds would love to know. <laughs> And then the last letter we have for this episode comes from listener Gabe, who has a quick note. You can scan almost all Amiibo in Smash, and you can get a spirit related to that character. Have you tried this, Chris? Uh, Yes, uh, that is true. I have not had a chance to try it out yet. I came home from my trip, and I really didn't have a chance to use any of the Amiibo in the game. I heard it was a feature in there, but I haven't been at home because of the holidays, so I'm not really near most of my Amiibo collection. I will definitely be trying this out soon. But uh, yes, that is a good tip from Gabe. Even if you're not into the AI-controlled Amiibo characters in the game, it does still have this benefit of unlocking these bonus spirits. So uh, yes, that's definitely a good thing to know about i would really like you to try the diablo 3 amiibo and the box boy amiibo asap and tell me what you get yes i'll do that and see if the uh, diablo amiibo unlocks the great mighty poo or something like that (laughs) or maybe a hobo (laughs) perhaps perhaps it unlocks error (laughs) maybe okay that does it for the letters for this week And I believe with that taken care of, we should take an intermission and then we'll discuss this week's big topic. Excuse me? Pardon me? Uh, Yes, Pete? Um, I think you're forgetting that I need to hassle the Hoth. Oh, darn. I thought I was going to get away with it this time. I would have (laughs) if it weren't for those meddling kids and their dog. Okay, let's do this then. What do you got for me this week? All right. The first hassle the Hoth of 2019. That's right. Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman, yes? what is your least favorite game of 2018? My least favorite game of 2018? Well, I mean, that's kind of hard to say since you know there are so many games that you know I haven't played. I'm sure there are some 
atrociously bad ones. Like, you know, I saw this one game, you know, there was a description in the eShop. It was like a Wii U game, and it was called Crush Ants. And it's like, the ants walk across your screen, crush them, then a centipede appears. Like, if I played that one, there's a very good chance it could be that game. That actually sounds like something you would tell somebody you would just want to, like, you know, bug off. Like, like hey, why don't you go crush ants, buddy? <laughs> like, there, is there another game on Wii U called Suck Eggs? <laughs> I don't think so, but there are a couple of these, you know, really hobo-sounding 99-cent <laughs> games on Wii U that just sound amazing. And by amazing, I mean amazingly bad. But, again, I have not played them, so I don't know. Maybe they're fantastic. But, you know, I guess of all the things I have played... You know, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to go out there and admit I definitely really did not like playing Dark Souls Remastered. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I think that's the correct answer. As I mentioned, as I played that game, I could tell that the game hated me, and I kind of hated it right back, and I tried to persevere and learn to like it, and then in the end, the game glitched out and I got stuck to a tree, and I was defeated by a tree, and I couldn't ever get away from the tree, and at that point I'm like, okay, clearly this game does not want me to ever play it, and so I am fine with that. So, out of all the games I tried to play and invested time with, that's what I'm going with. Wow. Dark Souls Remastered. Wow, who knew? I know it's got a great fan base. I know a lot of people still love it, but I kind of think there's a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome going on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. All right. Uh, nicely done. All right. Thank you kindly. And with that taken care of, we will definitely take an intermission, and then when we come back, we'll have this week's big topic, which is our favorite games of 2018. All right, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the best games of 2018. Of course, it is a new year. We have just ended 2018. So naturally, as expected, we are going to look back at the year and discuss our own personal, individual top games of the past year. Uh, unfortunately, we have not had a chance to play every single game that was out there. In fact, I would say that more than any year in memory, it seems like there was just so much stuff to play on Nintendo systems. It was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it really was. I mean, you know, some Nintendo execs were talking about, oh, we want to have, you know, 30 games come out every week. That has been no problem. They've had 30 <laughs> games, 40 games. It's been ridiculous. There is absolutely no way that any one person can keep up with everything and actually play everything through. 
and there's almost absolutely no way to find it all on the current Nintendo eShop. <laughs> this is true. This is true. There are surely some hidden gems on there that a lot of people should be playing but haven't been playing. I mean, we try our best. You know, I certainly try to play all the big first-party releases, and I try to you know play anything else that you know certainly has some buzz around it. But obviously, we're not going to get to everything. Nonetheless. Of the things we have played, we are going to put together our list of our favorites and we will go through the top 10 games on Nintendo systems that we have played in 2018. Are you ready, Pete? I'm ready, Huff. All right. Well, I will kick things off with my number 10 game. And this, unsurprisingly, is on Nintendo Switch. It is the game known as Chasm. Ah. This is an excellent Metroid-style adventure that borrows a lot from the Castlevania series. It has some great pixel art, it has cool weapons and abilities, and procedurally generated layouts, so it's different every time you restart the game. I've only played through it once, but I would love to play through this game again and experience it in an all-different way. And if you like you know, these types of non-linear action-adventure games, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I picked this one up too, Chris, and uh, it's not on my list, but I definitely liked it, and uh, I want to go back to it and play it a bit more. All right, cool. Glad to hear. So what is your number 10 game, Pete? Uh, My number 10 game is Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon. Ah, very nice. Very nice choice. Yeah, that game kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. It was probably the uh, biggest surprise, maybe, of 2018. I don't know. Can I say that? I can't really think of anything <laughs> sure, else that was, that was more of a surprise. But yeah, while we're waiting for the real Bloodstained game to come out. Yes, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Yes. Right, I mean, that was the one that was a Kickstarter, and we backed that. And you know, then there was also kind of you know this 8-bit throwback game that was kind of in there as a stretch goal or something, and everyone kind of forgot about it. And then, boom, the game came out this year, and it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it really is a, uh, you know, speaking of, you were talking about Battle Princess Madeline, you know, totally feels like a Capcom game. Well, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon feels exactly like a Castlevania game. Yes, it is very much an homage to those classic 8-bit Castlevania titles. Yeah, and, um, you know, you have the ability to switch between characters, and the level design is amazing, and, you know, I just really had fun with this game, and from that standpoint, it's on my list. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great things about it. There are multiple routes through the levels. There are multiple ways to play. And by that, I mean having the characters join your party or killing the characters and just stealing their powers or just letting them be. And yeah, I mean, this game was just really, really fun. And it really delivered a modernized take on classic Castlevania that I didn't even realize I wanted. But yeah, this was amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, it made my list as well. It actually comes in right at number nine. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes, quite an excellent game. Nicely done. Indeed. Which means uh, we've kind of gone through my number nine game, and we're on to your number nine game. So what you got, Pete? All right. Well, I talked about this one earlier, but coming in at number nine, I put Warframe. Oh, all right. More high praise for that one. Yeah, I just think that from a free-to-play standpoint and just what's capable on Switch and what's possible, I couldn't be happier with that game. And it just kind of, I think, to me, paves the way for future games of that style being possible on Switch. And hats off to uh, Panic Button for making such a cool port of a game that really was under my radar forever. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely intrigued by what you had to say about it before, but you know, hearing that it's in your top 10 list makes it sound even better. You know, As we've been saying, there's no reason to not try it out, so I will definitely download it and give it a spin and uh, see if I like it too. But yeah, that sounds great. All right, so then I guess we're at number eight. 
Yes, and my number eight game of the year would be Octopath Traveler. Huh. All right. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is the the third game I have mentioned, and the third game I've mentioned with a retro pixel art style, so I think I've kind of got a trend going here. But uh, unlike those last two we mentioned, this is a full-fledged RPG, not just a downloadable title. And it comes from Square Enix and Nintendo. And, you know, aside from, you know, this classic retro art style, there are a few other things that really stood out about it to me. The eight different playable characters and their distinctive stories, their unique innate abilities that allow you to do things like, uh, you know, rob NPCs blind or challenge them to a fight (laughs) or uh, lure them into certain places. And then on top of that, it has a really amazing soundtrack. Uh, Choosing the right party and determining which abilities to use was a huge part of the fun. And I have to say, if I was going to choose a top soundtrack of the year, I think it would probably be this game. Yeah, the soundtrack in Octopath Traveler is got to be second to none, at least in games this year. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, I haven't actually finished all of Octopath Traveler yet, but I have really enjoyed everything so far, and hopefully I'll be able to get back to it and uh, complete the entire quest and uh, see how it all ends. But yeah, really excellent game from what I've played. What's next for you, Pete? I actually had Octopath Traveler as well as mine. Shocking. Pretty much everything you mentioned. Yeah, I love the ability to, uh, you know, as you get new characters, you get to, like, do more stuff. Kind of like you were saying, steal from characters and fight random characters. (laughs) Kind of, like, almost breaks the fourth wall. You don't get to do that in a lot of RPGs. It almost reminded me of Golden Sun in that aspect, where you can kind of, like, mind read people and you're, like, able to do a little bit more than you normally could with anyone. Mm -hmm. And again, the soundtrack and the visuals are just exactly what I want from an old school RPG these days. So I'm hoping that uh, we'll see more of that in the future from Square Enix. Yeah, they really knocked this one out of the park. Yeah, they did. All right, then. On to my number seven game. I am choosing Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom. No. Look at you, Monster Boy. Now, I've really only just started playing this game, so I could easily see this one moving up a few more spaces on this list. But as I mentioned on the last episode, it is an absolutely gorgeous Metroid-style non-linear action-adventure with really cool animal transformation powers. And I'm still only a few hours in, but I have been loving every minute of it, and I cannot wait to go back and play more. You can't say much better than that. For sure. My number seven is Celeste. Ah, all right. Good choice. Yeah, I really enjoyed this game. Just the soundtrack, the visuals, the 8-bit style. I thought the gameplay mechanic was super fun and something that was like really unique and never really been done before. The story is excellent. There's a lot more going on than the average sort of uh, 8-bit style game. And just through and through. I mean, there's even like an Instagram channel for one of the NPCs in the game yeah, and right. it like ties into the game and it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I've heard so many great things about this game. For some reason, I have not actually bought it myself yet, but I am planning to buy this limited run games version so I can add this to my collection cuz uh, everything I played of it so far definitely seemed quite good. You should do that. <laughs> I will. <laughs> okay then, moving on to number 6. I am selecting Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Torna, the Golden Country. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. It's also kind of ironic that this is on my list this year (laughs) when the main Xenoblade Chronicles 2 did not make my list last year. Mm -hmm. But there is a good reason for that. And now, don't get me wrong, the core Xenoblade Chronicles 2 
was a very, very good game, and it was massive, and it did so many things. And I probably played that game this year more than I played anything else. I spent like 200 hours playing just the main Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Wow. However, like not all of that content was amazing, and it was a little bit unfocused, and I kind of felt like there was a lot of fat that could have been trimmed. But that is not at all the case in this one. It had a tighter story, it centered on a more manageable cast of drivers and blades, and offered a refined combat system that was more intuitive, and yet arguably probably offered more freedom. The ending to Torn of the Golden Country was also amazing. And, you know, I kind of wish it had been a little longer, but, you know, for a 30-hour RPG, it was fantastic, and I really couldn't ask for more. Yeah, it's cool. It sounds like uh, they did a lot of good things in that version, and uh, if you haven't played any of it, it's probably best to start with that, maybe? It might be. It might be. I mean, like I said, I think it is a more polished experience. So, you know, from that perspective, I could definitely see starting with this one. But um, either way you look at it, it's definitely fun. Cool. All right. Well, number six on my list is Mega Man 11. Ah, all right. Another good choice, I would say. Obviously, Mega Man's always been a favorite of mine. Now, I'm assuming this is on your list, but I'm assuming it's rated a little higher. (laughs) And I think the only reason why it's where it is on my list is because I just haven't played as much as I'd like to of it. It's exactly the Mega Man experience that you want in this day and age. I tend to agree. I totally tend to agree. I really like the mechanics they added with the, uh, the ability to slow down time and being able to increase your strength. And I I just think that the levels are exactly what you kind of expect. The difficulty is through the roof, but now that I've corrected it and chosen easy or normal or whatever the... (laughs) (laughs) Right. I feel like it's definitely a better experience. Yeah, I totally tend to agree. I think it has great level design. I think it has really tight controls. And yes, the fact that they did add in stuff like the dual gear system and the variable difficulties, I think, has made it more accessible than most Mega Man games in the series. I also really like the assortment of weapons that are in there. I would say they are probably the best, most widely usable assortment of weapons since like Mega Man 2 or Mega Man 3. Here, here. Uh, it was also a game that I thought you know just got like better and better the more I played it. Like the first time through a level, it's like, okay, I'm totally getting my butt kicked. <laughs> and then the next time through, it's like, okay, I've learned some of these patterns and I've learned how to use the gears. and I've learned how to get past these obstacles and get through the tricky parts. And then, you know, the more I play, it's like the more I learned and the more enjoyment I got out of it. So yeah, this is obviously one that I really, really liked as well. Yeah, and there really are some fun, you know, novel levels that they made, like the bounce level. And mm-hmm. I think back to our original points, you know, in the episode we talked about it, there's like, they do maybe overuse some of those tricks, but honestly, it is what kind of makes Mega Man Mega Man, and uh, in the end, it is a really fun experience. Yeah, it's not exactly classic Mega Man, but like you said, it's a really good modern interpretation of Mega Man, bringing that you know classic 2D side-scrolling action platforming up to modern spec, and I'm really, really happy to see Mega Man back, for sure. Yeah, in Smash too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's kind of the year of Mega Man, for sure. All right, then I will move along to my number five title. And this is a game that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. It is Iconoclast and it is yet again, another pixel art Metroid style adventure. (laughs) Uh, I guess when I find a genre that works for me, it works for me. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this one definitely stands out because of its unusually thoughtful characters and story and world. Uh, Plus, you know, the main character is, In addition to the usual weapons, she has this wrench, 
which can be used to solve puzzles and deflect attacks and interact with the world in a variety of ways, so it really stands out from the crowd. Of course, all that traditional stuff is in there, like the ability to upgrade your weapons and get other items as well. And yeah, I just have really, really enjoyed this game from what I've played, which you know, I haven't finished it yet. I am still loving it. But uh, yeah, it's been really, really great so far. I feel like it's been kind of overlooked. But yeah, everything I've experienced so far just tells me it is so worthwhile. You're really hyping that game up, and uh, it's making me want to play it. <laughs> you should definitely play it, and I'm almost certainly going to double dip with that limited run games version. <laughs> nice. Yeah, if that can't convince you to get it, I don't know what can, man. So, what is your number five pick, Pete? Man, top five. Okay, here we go. I've got uh, Into the Breach as my top five game of 2018. Oh, wow. I remember that you liked that game. I didn't know you liked it that much, though. Cool. Yeah, thinking back to it and uh, you know playing it a little bit recently, I definitely remembered why I liked that game so much and realized that I still had a lot left to do. Into the Breach was a kind of a surprise game. They just kind of announced that it was available on the eShop today, and I'd never even heard of it. Yeah, that's right. Made by the guys who make FTL. Anyways, it is a simplified tactics game. Basically, if you've seen the movie Pacific Rim, it's very similar. You're in some mechs. You control three mechs on every stage, and uh, you basically fight just a smattering of baddies that come crawling out of the earth. And uh, you play these little quick, maybe five to 15 minute matches, and you try to take over the board as much as you possibly can, and eventually you die. And you basically die every round, except for when you win, (laughs) but you die a lot more than you win. But the cool thing is, as you do that, you unlock things. You mainly unlock the ability to buy new mechs, and that allows you to do new things. So each mech has like a whole different move set. You can kind of mix and match, and there's like these achievements that you can only get when you use an entire team. There's certain achievements you can only unlock when you use different teams. And each time you do those unlocks, you get new points to buy more mechs with. And it really ends up being this fun experience where you get to know the levels really inside and out. And it's just a really fun strategy experience that is pick up and play. And I haven't played a game like this in a long time that I enjoyed as much as I did. So, yeah, anyway, my number five for 2018. All right, cool. Good to know. That brings us to my number four pick. And I am going with The Messenger. Ah, awesome. And once again, we have yet another pixel art retro game. (laughs) (laughs) But again, this one has a pretty big twist. That being that it is both 8-bit style and 16-bit style. And as the game progresses, not only does the art style change, but changes from a traditional action game to an open world Metroid style game. On top of that, it has a bizarre sense of humor and lots of technique based around, uh, you know, slashing your environment for a double jump. Uh, plus, you can never go wrong with a game that focuses on ninjas. And, you know, <laughs> it gets pretty challenging, but uh, overall, it was just you know, a really, really cool, unique, retro-style experience. I loved it. Yeah, totally. This actually was on my list, too, a bit higher. Okay, then. Can't say enough good things about The Messenger. All right. Well, before we get to that, then, what is your number four? Ah, my number four is uh, Starling, Battle for Atlas. Oh, all right. 
featuring Star Fox. Yeah, so I would I gotta say, if this game didn't feature Star Fox, it probably wouldn't be on my list at all. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, it is a fun game, and I find myself going back to it a lot. You know, we've talked about it. It's basically a you know like a flight simulator, kind of similar to something like No Man's Sky. You fly around going to different planets and uh, sort of doing little. Best way to say it is probably doing fetch quests. <laughs> it's not entirely built around that, but yeah, there there are just a ton of missions. My time with it, I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was a great use of the Star Fox property. Honestly, probably the best Star Fox game in the last decade, at least in my opinion, hmm. even with it just being the side quest. So I encourage anyone who's a Star Fox fan to pick it up. Don't sleep on Starlink. All right. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about picking this one up, and I've seen that you can get it you know, on sale over the last several weeks. You know, I've seen it for like 30 bucks or something. That's the physical version with the physical R-Wing, you know? So, uh, yeah, I have kind of been hesitating, but I guess I shouldn't if you think that highly of it. Good to know. Yeah, I really do. It's a quality Switch game that has got the bulk of the playing time on my machine. Okay, cool. I will certainly keep that in mind. Moving along to my number three pick... I am going with Valkyria Chronicles 4. Oh, wow. Yeah, now the Valkyria Chronicles games for me have always been fun, and this really isn't any different. It's just a really great mix of real-time action and turn-based battles, along with this excellent anime-style character design, solid voice acting, and a compelling and you know fairly serious story. And it's one of those games where I just want to keep on seeing what happens next, and I tend to stay up way too late and taking way too long to plan each turn because A, I want to see where the story goes, and B, there's permadeath, so I don't want to lose any of my soldiers, so I'm like, you know, really meticulous in planning out my missions. <laughs> and, you know, the game isn't really like Advance Wars, but there are some definite similarities in there. Mm. So, you know, I would say to people, you know, if you're looking for a game to scratch that itch, obviously there has not been an Advance Wars game in a long, long time. You know, there are certainly you know similarities there you know do try it out if you're looking for a really good you know japanese infused military strategy game it's really great yeah that's cool i uh, hearing you talk about it, it makes me want to play it yeah i mean i kind of want to go back and play more of it right now didn't know you thought so highly of it <laughs> yeah it's really really good cool um moving on to my number three i've got hollow knight ah okay yeah, this one, you know, I really didn't, when I was putting this list together, I was like, where do I put Hollow Knight? You know, I went back and played it, and uh, I really remembered why that game was so fun and difficult at the same time. <laughs> so it is. You know, again, you know, this it seems like the year of the Metroid-style adventure games, mm -hmm. but this one, it, it definitely differentiates itself in its art style. It's not 16-bit uh, or 8-bit. It true. actually looks a bit more animated almost flash looking yeah for sure but ultimately what really drew me into this game was the uh you know it is difficult like a dark souls level difficult from what i hear <laughs> not hadn't played on much of the dark souls series but but i've heard it's you know a lot of people comparing it to two-dimensional dark souls you just gain the right amount of abilities very similar to like a metroid where you know you, you get your butt handed to you a lot and then all of a sudden <laughs> you find the right power up and you're like wow now i'm awesome for a minute and then you get to new area and you're like wait i'm not awesome <laughs> <laughs> and it just has this charm and this uh you know all the things really animate nicely i really just found myself being drawn to that game and I, in a style that i didn't think i would be but it definitely made an impact and that's why it's my number three 
Yeah, I agree. It's not on my top 10, but I did spend some time with that game, and I did really appreciate a lot of its features. The art style is really unique and has you know just really great game design. Yeah, I can see why you would absolutely put that one on your list. Sweet. So that brings us to my number two game. That's what we already talked about before. It is Mega Man 11. Ah. Yeah, I don't really think I have anything else to say about it, just that it really did deliver pretty much everything I would have wanted from a Mega Man game. I still have not beaten the hardest difficulty yet, but hopefully I will be able to uh, sit down and play through that and, uh, you know, master it, because I would definitely like to. Yeah, it definitely makes me want to go back and play it right now. (laughs) Cool. So, I have a guess as to what your number two game is. I suppose that's also what we've talked about before, huh? (laughs) It is. uh, It is indeed The Messenger. All right. And, you know, just to reiterate, it's just a really fun game. And I think the way they have the whole overworld is such a unique plot device. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the game does a lot of things you just don't expect it to do. And I think that's ultimately why it ended up on my list. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair to say. I mean, going into it, I knew what it was supposed to be. I'm like, oh, 8-bit, 16-bit, okay, that sounds cool. But the way it unfolds in front of you, the way it is done, you know, so tongue-in-cheek, and <laughs> the way that it keeps delivering, you know, one unexpected thing after another, it just does make it something really, really special. Yeah, and some of those boss fights are really memorable. Yeah, as are getting some of the optional collectibles. I admit, that's why I still haven't finished it yet, because there are like a couple of these collectibles that are just driving me mad. It's like, I'm not moving on to the next area until I get this one. I gotta do it. Gotta do it. Right. It can be rough. I also, for my money, love the innkeeper's dialogue. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) It's right up my alley. All right, so this is it. Yes. You're number one. This brings us to number one. And I just have a suspicion, Pete, that it might be your number one game as well. <laughs> it is a little title that probably no one's ever heard of before <laughs> called Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Ah, uh, yes. I'd buy it at a high price. <laughs> yeah, I can't say this is too much of a surprise because basically this game has everything a Nintendo fan could possibly want. <laughs> you know, tons of playable fighting characters, lots of multiplayer options, and a ginormous single player mode. And the game is just super addictive. And, you know, like the last two games I mentioned, I just keep wanting to play and play and play. When I'm not playing it, I'm thinking about playing it. (laughs) And I just want to, you know, sit back down with it and be like, what other characters and spirits are in here? And you can just play it for hours on end or you can play it in short bursts. And, you know, I probably put in, I don't know, maybe 20 hours so far and still feel (laughs) like I've barely scratched the surface. Yeah. And, you know, it's weird when when I put this as my top number one game, I was like, you know, it just feels so like cliche that it's the number yeah, one. Yeah, I know, I know. At the same time, it is the number one. I mean, it it has so much stuff in it. It's unbelievable. And, you know, I've played a lot more online now. And, uh, you know, I, I actually have experienced that if you play online, especially if you if your settings are one versus one, the lag is really good in the sense that you, it, when you play somebody, it almost feels like they're in the room. Huh. And I really have had great experiences online now. I wasn't able to speak to it last time we discussed this. But, you know, that alone, it gives me that online fighting game experience that I've wanted from a Smash Brothers game for a while now. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, it does almost feel like a cliche just picking that game. It's like, oh, it's just the obvious thing to do. <laughs> but, I mean, just beyond, you know how fun the game is and how much technique it has as a fighting game and how many options are there. I mean, it's just really the fact that more than any previous Smash Brothers game or like probably any game in history, 
It was just such a total love letter to everything about video games, even just beyond Nintendo stuff. You know, it's all your favorite classic characters and all your favorite Nintendo characters all in one place. I mean, you know, you could make Kevin Keen with a me and like assemble the entire <laughs> cast of Captain and the Game Master all in one place now. It's true. You know? Yeah, you're right. It's wow. insane. I never even thought about it. So No, you're totally right. And and honestly, I'm actually really excited that Nintendo decided to make this their, you know, holiday launch game. Because I think that I've heard of more people buying this this version of Smash Brothers than ever before. And I think it's partially just because a lot of people own a Switch and a lot of people know it's like the game that Nintendo's like putting all their guns behind, basically. Yeah, and it really is. I mean, it's not just lip service. It really did pan out to be just as ultimate as the title suggests. Every minute I've spent with it has basically been awesome. So uh, it's not just their big holiday release is not just their big budget release. It really is, you know, that much fun and that impressive. And I do think it deserves this spot on uh, our lists as our number one game of the year. Totally crazy. We actually agree on something. Yeah. That's uh, you know, I was wondering if you were going to have that as number one and I'm glad uh, we synced up on that. Indeed. Indeed we did. Now, as you mentioned before, I feel like there are still like maybe 10 games that I, I wrote down that uh, could easily be on this list. I just didn't get a chance to play them this year because there's so much stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of games out there that, you know, I never got a chance to experience. And another thing is that, you know, beyond these, you know, brand new experiences, more or less, it was also a really, really amazing year for retro games. Like, I mean, you know, like most of my games seem to be you know, like pixel art style, retro style games. But <laughs> I mean, you look at stuff like Street Fighter Collection and these Mega Man collections, the Capcom Beat-Em-Up Bundle. It's like, oh man, if you love classic games, this has been an amazing year for that too. No, so totally. like on every front, it's like there is good stuff coming out. It's, it's like, you know, how do you play all that stuff how do you keep up with the new stuff when it's like oh here's a collection of 30 awesome games you need to play it's like ah what am i gonna do now yeah i mean even having access to some of those old nes games has been uh really crazy yeah i mean even over the holidays i was playing like tecmo bowl more than i ever have in the last (laughs) 20 years so um yeah it's just been a great year for gaming in general and the switch becomes at least in my opinion it's like a must-have yeah absolutely i mean the arcade archive the sega ages uh, the Nintendo Switch online offerings. Yeah, it's all just super, super impressive. And I have a, an Xbox and a PS4 just collecting dust because I uh, can't play them remotely. And I, I like the ability to do it on the Switch. And uh, going home for the holidays isn't such a drag. <laughs> well, it's never a drag. But, you know, it's ne- you don't get to play your games. And now you do. So it's, uh, it's life-changing. <laughs> well said. And with that, I do believe it takes care of our best of 2018. And that brings this week's big topic to a close. That's right. However, before we wrap up this week's episode, I do believe we have time for one more thing. No oh boy. And unsurprisingly, it is a dramatic reading. And uh, is this one of the best games of 2018 or? Uh, well, I'm not sure about that, but I do believe this is one that has been hotly requested by many of our listeners, and by many of our listeners, I mean, Pete, you actually requested this one of me a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. This is the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game, My Riding Stables, Life with Horses. Yes. Make your dreams come true on the stud farm near the old mill. Renovate your own riding school, look after your horses, and tend to the cute little foals. 
as well as wonderful hacks, working in the stables and caring for the horses, you'll have plenty of other exciting things to do. Large estate with stables, riding arena, guest house, treatment center, meadow, and challenging routes to ride. Breed cute foals, over a hundred possible combinations. Train them on the lunge and then sell them to horse lovers. Pamper your horses with curry combs, massages, showers, and by cleaning their hooves. Demonstrate your riding skills on challenging cross-country rides. Gallop at full speed and handle the fabulous jumps on nine riding courses and in the open. Exciting horse races through stunning countryside. Comprehensive business section with the aim of running the best stud farm in the world. Wow. A comprehensive business section, huh? Yes. And I just got to say the word stud farm twice. <laughs> I couldn't figure out that part where it's like, as well as wonderful hacks. Hey, I am not a horseologist. It probably means something to horse people, but I have no idea myself. <laughs> also, you know, you asked, you know, is this one of the best games of the year? I have not played it myself, but as I was looking up this game to get the text for the dramatic reading, I saw a bunch of things on YouTube calling it like the worst Switch game ever. <laughs> Uh, you know, they could just be people hating. It could be. It could be. It could just be haters that got to hate. But uh, yes, I have uh, I've heard it might not be one of the better games of the year. That's what I've been hearing. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be buying it anytime soon. Hmm. Weird. That was right up your alley. <laughs> well, I'm glad you read it. <laughs> anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, and you can find Pete, aka Old Dragonbeard, at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. Why don't you go crush ants? And our swordsman friend, Marth. My humble thanks. We will see you next time. Na 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 na